remember this as if it was yesterday. It came back, it was a very warm July afternoon. And I just went out to lunch and came back and opened a letter. It was addressed from a prisoner in Stark, Florida. Letter starts, Dear Mr. Bush, I need to get right with God. I just learned that I have AIDS and my pro prognosis is terminal. I murdered three, uh, two people in your jurisdiction and I need to, I need to make it right. If you get, get to me and can get me to Michigan from the prison, I'll show you where the bodies are. Letter went on to explain some of the details of what he said were two different killings on two different occasions and left my head spinning. I sat there and contemplated what to do next. Prisoner was in the Florida penitentiary. He was there for an assault of crime. He wasn't a prisoner that was under our jurisdiction, so it was difficult to figure out a path to get him back to Michigan so he could tell us his information. Over my years in prosecution, it wasn't unusual for people to come forward that were jailbirds. They like to sing because that's essentially their hall pass. That's the way they get out of jail, tell on others. Most experienced law enforcement officials realize that kind of story has to be looked at very carefully and skeptically because the the urge and the desire the drive to get out of jail sometimes tramples the truth so the veracity of this person is at stake i took the letter and i sat down with the chief assistant robert ewell who's a veteran prosecutor of 30 years he was sage he was a graybeard, as they say in the business, and he'd been around the track a few times. I started reading the letter to him. It grabbed him as it did me. Highly unusual. It's not often that somebody confesses to first-degree murder in a letter to the prosecutor. Outside the courtroom, nonetheless. So, we decided that the best course of action was to assign some of the deputies that worked for me uh, to go and, and look into this matter more fully. So I assigned this to two of my more experienced uh, police investigators. They made contact with the Florida Highway Patrol and and they asked them if they would go and provided them a copy of the letter 
and asked them if they would go talk to this man and try to get more more flesh on the bones, more details to the story so that we could then run down and trace some aspects of what he had said specifically about how to establish the murder cases. What was what was particularly of interest to us was to place this man in our county at all. That is, can we was it possible for us during this time period to have something objective that says that he was actually in Genesee County during the time he committed at least one and possibly a second murder where he disposed of both bodies. So the detectives went off on their work and amazingly they were able to find corroborating evidence at least of the fact that this man's story uh, as he said he had been uh, he had been involved in a shoplifting incident at a local department store in Mount Morris Township and and we then went to look to see if there was a shoplifting complaint made by the police. Sure enough, there was some record that he had been detained by the police and he indicated they left a truck in the, in the parking lot after he was arrested and detained by the police. And in that truck was a shovel, which he later claims was used to bury one of the victims. So the story grows. He claims he puts his his identification up in the ceiling of the Mount Morris Police Department's uh, interrogation room where he was being detained. The police then go to that room, search the ceiling, and sure enough, <laughs> There was his information from several years before the, uh, the alleged homicides occurred. Well, that put us on to a more firm footing that we at least knew he was around, but doesn't, you know, doesn't make a murder case. We obviously needed a lot more evidence. The police then went there and, and sought to uh, get further elaboration on some aspects of that. His, his presence here and where he might have disposed of those bodies because with or without him we were going to look for those bodies. And uh, if, assuming we could establish that in this case the crime actually occurred. So what happened after that was kind of a multi-tasked uh, effort by the Genesee County Prosecutor's Office. At that point, I then assigned um, the Chief of the Appellate Unit of my office, Research and Appellate Unit, Donald Keebler, who ultimately retired with 40 years experience, to figure out a way to get this prisoner to Michigan so that we could take him out into the field to see where he had buried the bodies and help us help us find them. 
So, long and the short of it is, uh, the lawyers did some legal magic, which to this day, I still kind of scratch my head at, because I'm not sure how they did it. But they ended up getting uh, the legal documents and a judge to sign it that allowed allowed for this man to be released to the uh, custody of the uh, Genesee County Sheriff's Department. So then became the task of getting him back to Michigan. <clears throat> Not an easy task in those days. Uh, the view of HIV was much different. The, the vaccine and virus uh, medications were not uh, were not in existence. So for many, it was thought that HIV would be a death sentence in and of itself. And to transport somebody with this HIV would be highly risky to the general public. And so airlines weren't too crazy about the idea and charged a premium for transporting a prisoner back from a destination, in this case, from Florida to Michigan. The um, normal way that we would extradite prisoners is through a transport service, which goes and picks up prisoners from town to town and drops them off as they make their rounds across the country. And in this case, having a prisoner with HIV AIDS, um, full-blown AIDS would be considered high risk and the transport company wasn't interested in that at all so they turned us down so the next move was to convince the airlines that this case was so important that they should let us transport this man under the watchful eye of two armed uh, Genesee County sworn officers and that's exactly what we did and we had to pay a premium for that not only we had to supply two officers and all the overtime and expense for them, but we also had to pay a premium to the airlines for this person to, to be a passenger on the airplane. So he, he arrived in Genesee County by some miracle. And we all, we all were, <laughs> all of us in the office were rather amazed at <laughs> The fact that he got, he, he was released by the prison authorities in Florida. We didn't think we were going to be successful on that score. And when he arrived, I remember um, two of my staff members uh, who'd been working on the case decided to take him to our favorite place, which was Halo Burgers in downtown Flint. And generally when we had suspects we used that as a technique because that was a way to be nice and we would get them flint's best um uh, food that is and generally uh that kind of softened up a prisoner to want to cooperate with us and, and show friendliness in this case, uh, the guy wanted to smoke cigarettes, which he can't do in the Genesee County Jail. And so the guys let him smoke a cigarette and they eventually dropped the cigarette in the back seat of a county car and burned a hole in the seat. Well, that wasn't good. 
Well, in any event, he got there and then the sergeant took him over to be locked up at the jail until we could sort out the rest of the story. And so before he brought him upstairs, they were standing outside smoking, of course. In those days, you could do that around the jail. And um, the deputy said, well, I could unlock one of these handcuffs, but I have to keep you, you know, locked up to me, I guess. And the guy says, well, it doesn't really make any difference if I get unlocked. And uh, the deputy said, oh, yeah, why is that? And he shows, and the prisoner showed him this little key that he had made out of a toothbrush while he was in prison, which turns out to be a handcuff key. He had the ability, he said, well, if I wanted to escape, I could have already done that. I have a key. Well, needless to say, we took the key away and then put him in into the jail. One of the more interesting aspects of this was, you know, setting up the um, setting up the uh, effort to go find the bodies, where, where exactly he disposed of the bodies. In one instance, he, in the first instance, he claimed that he disposed the body by throwing, by tying up the body, wrapping it up, or and then tying it up and weighting it down, and threw it into a, a local lake. And so that posed some problems. So we had to get the dive squad. Genesee County Sheriff's had volunteer divers that regularly worked with the department. And there were other people in the community that participate in that activity to, to assist law enforcement in recovering bodies that are, that are at the bottom of lakes. So we had those folks working in that area and into that um, lake doing training exercises and so forth every chance they got to go look for the body and we took the guy over there he was very nervous about when he wanted to go we suggested we would pick him up in the morning but we weren't you know we didn't really commit to a time and he was getting very nervous and he had talked to somebody on the phone and our concern was that if, if we took this man, this prisoner who claimed to kill two people, right to the scene, then he would, you know, maybe try to engineer some kind of an escape with accomplices and so forth. So uh, what the police decided to do was to create a secure perimeter around the area that we would take this man to. And that way nobody was going in or out of that place in the in the park so that's exactly what we did and the last thing we were going to do is tell that prisoner what time we were coming to get him because we didn't want him to tell his buddy to go meet him out there at a certain time and ambush the police that were out there so eventually he was getting all the prisoner was getting all crazy and claiming that he wasn't going to cooperate with us if we didn't come and get him right away so that just made us want to wait until afternoon, which is exactly what we did. In any event, we went and got him eventually and took him to this 
to this place and he kind of showed us where he claimed you know it wasn't as specific as we would have liked but showed us the area general area where he claimed he threw the body in the lake so then it turns out that he didn't dispose of the body the second body in Genesee County he took the body up to uh, Clare County where he buried this body of this person he claimed to have killed and um, so we had to engineer uh, his visit there we contacted the uh, FBI who volunteered to bring the, the trainings the trainees from their school in Quantico, Virginia to come out and to help in the search of this forest wood, wooded area to find any sign that there was any any burial of a, of a body. And the uh, federal government also has amazing resources. They brought this, this thermal imaging machine where they can essentially x-ray the ground to see if they can you know find some decay matter so that we could find you know we could find the location where the body might have been buried so the prisoner showed us general vicinity there again uh, we took in this very sophisticated equipment to look for it and uh, the net result of that having you know 50 people in the woods um, was we found a dead deer in the area where he said he buried the body. Um, so needless to say, we were a little disappointed in this fella, at which point we escorted him back to the car and put him on to the, uh, into the jail for the evening and got him out of there back to uh, his prison cell in Stark, Florida. And looking back at that episode, uh, it's a mystery of the two unsolved so-called murders because we don't have uh, any in a solid uh, lead as to who it might have been. So we have no, you know, no news reports of bodies missing or people missing, complaints made. And uh, to this day, even though the the dive teams have gone many times to the lake in Genesee County looking for that body. Uh, they've been unsuccessful in their efforts over all these years uh, to find that missing body and uh, if there was one. But it's it's sort of one of those things that the public doesn't see. And that is great effort, expense, carefulness, time, uh, thought, uh, and risk. The most important part of that is risk. Uh, because had had this man tried to engineer and I guess there's some debate as to whether he was trying to get some kind of an escape scheme hatched and he got pretty close to it if he was really intending that or whether he just wanted to help I I began obviously I began to doubt whether or not uh, he actually did a murder maybe he did a shoplifting but uh, to this day, we still don't know if there's a murder. So that's your unsolved murder case for the day. This is Arthur Bush, listening to Radio Free Flint. If you like this episode and some of the others on true crime or any other subject, let us know. 
subscribe to our podcast. Press like. We'd like it if you're on um, Apple Podcasts. And have a good day. We'll talk to you again later. Goodbye. Thank you.